0: Fold your hands and to bow your head, as uh, the traditionalist on our staff, which is Brandon, uh, just shared. Or what you could do is you could stand up, and raise your hands, and recognize that this is a, this is the direction from which you're getting God's goodness. It's uh, from above, and uh, you have open hands because you want to receive what He has to give you. Uh, well, I hope, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you're looking forward to this day where we're, uh, we're going to look at some things that we have spent a few months doing. Uh, we started a series in. Uh, Ephesians right after we had our series our design series and we spent two or three months in that we took a few weeks off and I thought as we begin looking at uh, the fall season and as our life groups begin real soon that we probably ought to spend some time by way of review. And so as I was looking through some uh, notes of uh, these last number of months, I thought, man, I've got a lot of things I want to s- say this morning, just by by way of bringing your pure minds to remembrance. So before we do that, let's look to the Lord one more time in prayer, because we need to hold up our hands. Let's hold up our hands as we pray. Can we try that one more? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your provision. And we just want to receive what you want to give us today. We ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said amen all right what a radical group you actually raise your hands to pray well i I want to ask you a question Uh, what exactly is this this is a lock now actually this is a lock that looks like it probably could use a what to open it a key however um things can be deceiving this is actually not a lock uh, by which you open by way of key it actually is a combination lock and uh, you have to kind of twirl these things a little bit and um, it, it reminds me uh, of the traditional type of combination locks. Do they still have those at schools where you have to use them? Do they still have those? And and one of the important things, if you get a locker at school or a locker at the gym or if you have something in your home, maybe it's a cabinet that you're locking, what's critically important about a combination lock is that you remember the, the combination. Now, let, let's have true confession in church. It's good to, you know, confession is good for the soul. How many have ever forgotten a combination to a lock i have hundreds of them at my house all right (laughs) is you know and you know what happens when you forget something that you need to remember it impacts your life doesn't it you know if 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 the good news is is all you've done is forgotten the combination before you put it on but when you put it on and you've forgotten the combination then it makes life a lot more difficult doesn't it well this morning what we're going to do and by, by way of looking at uh, Ephesians looking back at the first three chapters of Ephesians We're going to look at a, a section of scripture in which God is pleading through the author of uh, the Apostle Paul uh, For people to remember what they they they've already been told to, to know how much God has done for them Because if you forget what God has done for you it it just it just weakens your life with him tremendously I mean, it profoundly. I, I cannot use enough adjectives to describe what happens when we forget what God has done. And often the Apostle Paul, when he would write, he would begin this way. Because he recognized you, can, you, you can't do what God wants you to do unless you recognize what God has made you to be. And so often as you look at his, his writings, whether it's a four-chapter book or whether it's a six-chapter epistle You can divide it normally in half. The first part of it is is telling all the great things God has done for you. And then he goes on, okay, in light of this, this is God's plan for you to live it out. We we have a passage for you this this month in terms of, of just discerning what God wants you to do. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's just a waste, it's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. But you know why Paul in that that passage, and you're all working on that, if you wonder where that verse is, it's the bottom part of your insert in the outline, in the bulletin on the bottom side, there's also some verse cards in the back. You know why Paul has said, therefore do not be unwise? Why do you have to say that? Because they were being unwise. And the reason they were unwise because they were they were trading what God had offered them and given them for what the world was offering and trying to give them, and, and so they were living radically different lives than the lives that God had planned for them, and it empowered them to live out. And so Paul, who who had who had experienced this firsthand, Paul had had tried to to live life with all his efforts, with all his energy, with all his discipline to, to live life to its fullest, and yet he was going down the wrong path. And it seems like everyone wants to remind me, I've gone down wrong paths. It doesn't matter how diligent, and how faithful, even how fast. You know, that's the standard thing when you're driving. I, I don't know where we're going, but we're making good time. All right? That that doesn't work. And so it's interesting in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, and I'm going to give you this kind of an overview, and then we're going to look at some specific things this morning, is that what's interesting about the first three chapters is, uh, and this is what uh, writers of commentaries on the Bible would say, there isn't one imperative, bunch of indicatives, but no imperatives. Now, what does that mean? An imperative is, is a command or a or a, a challenge you to list something out. To do something. It's a to-do list. But then indicatives are the to-be list. These are things that God has made you to be. Now there's an entry into this, this land of blessing that God has. And that's entering into a relationship with him. And until that happens, you're, you're just on the outside looking in what God wants to do in your life. But once you make that radical commitment to jesus christ this is what god does for you without any effort on your part this is just his gifts and people say it in a variety of different ways people will say it's all about the riches and then the responsibilities other people will say it's all about looking at what you ought to believe before you try to behave how god wants you to behave it's recognizing the position you have in Christ before you try to put it into practice. And anyone who's ever played a sport, you, you know, if, if you're in a team game, you, you can really mess up the potential uh, ability for your team to win if you don't know what position you're playing. And because until you know your position, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You know, whether, you know, NFL season is starting in a major way this week, you know, if you're trying to play uh, the offensive line and you're the quarterback, it's, it's not going to work. You know, if, you're try, if you're the defensive pack, pass and, and, you're, and you're rushing the passer when somebody's going out for a pass, I don't care how good you're at rushing the passer, somebody just scored a touchdown. And so God, God wants us to know our identity in Christ before we understand his intentions for us to live that out. And so in a in a number of weeks, we're going to look at what God wants from us in terms of living out our faith. But you will be trying, and I will be trying to live that out with an empty gas tank, and, and unless I really realize what God has for me and already has done for me. You know, the Apostle Paul was an interesting person in many ways. You know, he had tried to do on his own, trying to follow after God by strict obedience to the law, and he recognized um, that uh, because God shone the light in his life and just blinded him the fact that, that your way is the wrong way. A- and then he had to make a radical change and, and recognize it's not what we do, it's what God has done. In many ways, that, that's a great definition of the uniqueness of Christianity. There's a lot of religions out there, there are a lot of faiths out there, there are a lot of ways people are trying to connect with God. But it's all about what they do And they don't recognize It's all about what God has done And the reality That when we realize that It's a humbling truth Because we are Incapable of ourselves To enter into a relationship with God And we are incapable After that to do it on our own Apart from allowing his spirit To live in and through us And we simply become obedient to what he has called us To be and then do so we're going to listen to this apostle, who in the second century was described as a, a rather small man in stature. He was probably about four foot six, uh, a man that was maybe a little rotund. He was kind of uh, he was he was he was very round. He uh, he had some interesting things to look at when you saw him facially. His his eyes were probably oozing from a some kind of disease that impaired his sight. Much as what we read in the scriptures were probably re- recorded by a secretary as he would recite it in rapid fashion. Uh, they say he was probably bow-legged, you know, maybe from all the things that he had to do in terms of traveling from one place to the next. Oh, and by the way, depending upon how, many, how much clothes he had on the time you saw him, he was, he was covered with scars. The scars because he was obedient to Christ and the persecution that he received on behalf of, of God's people to get the message out. But in the midst of all that, he saw himself as as rich, as, as blessed beyond imagination. And even as he writes this particular letter, which is what's called a prison epistle, which simply means this was written from a... Prison, you guys are really sharp out there, okay? It's a prison pistol because it was written while he was incarcerated. His, his freedoms were restricted, and yet he was just filled with life. And so he, he writes to them about what it means to be in Christ. In fact, depending on how you, how you count that phrase, in Christ, or a synonym for that, is used 35 times, mostly in the first three chapters. And then the last three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, there are there are 35 commands or 35 imperatives, 35 things we're supposed to do after we understand who we are, uh, what we were meant to be. And, and so just by way of review, let, let's look at how rich we are. And as I was going through this, I said, well, how, how could I decide what things to, to look at? And I thought, well let's, let's see if I can come up with some simple numbers. You know, 10 is a pretty significant number. I mean, it works for uh, one late night talk host. And he says, here's the top 10. And so I thought I'd give you 10. And I thought, well, as I did that, well, then I only got through the first chapter. I said, well, okay, I'll reduce it in the next chapter. I thought, well, you know, seven is a significant number. So I said, I'll I'll just shoot for seven. So I got seven. Then I thought, well, I'm only through the second chapter. And then I thought, well, three, that's kind of like the Trinity. So I have one point this morning. You are all rich, but we got 20 sub points. All right. So uh, are you, are you ready to roll here? And really what you want to do is you just think, am I supposed to remember all 20 points? And the answer to that is yes. But actually, since I, I don't have that much faith, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to answer all, to remember all 20, but but as, as we go through, it, if some of them just grab you, then then hold on to them this week and recognize, you know, throughout the week, you know, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm this because God has simply given this for me to be. Well, let's look at it. We'll look at the first one, which actually is a summary one for all of them. Uh, and if you have your Bibles turned to Ephesians, uh, we're going to look at chapters 1, 2, and 3. We'll look at the passages. If you have your own Bibles, you can circle these words in the text. As so you look back, in case you lose the outline, which most of us do, uh, you can say, here here are some of the things that, that God says is true about me simply because he has given this to me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, uh, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the very simple thing here is that we should all recognize for us, who have entered into a relationship with God, that we are blessed. Now, we sang a worship song to begin, as Brian was leaning on this morning, and we talked, blessed be the name. Now, there's two types of blessings in Scripture. One is the blessing that we give back to God, and the other blessing is what God gives back to us. And it's completely different. When we bless God and actually the form of the word for blessing is the word for eulogize, which means to speak well of. That's what we do when we praise God. We speak well of him. We proclaim how great and awesome he is. We just we just marvel at who he is. But when God looks at us, he, he doesn't bless us that way. You know, he, he's not that impressed with us. Right? He's, not, he's not just you know, praising us and speaking well of us and thinking of all kinds of things he can do that could flatter us because most of those things aren't true, right? So when God blesses us, it's not that he speaks well of us. What he does is he, he and, and I have in your outline this morning, he gives us benefits. We, we get a benefit package with God when we enter into a relationship with him. And he describes us in this passage, he blesses us not with just a few benefits, you know, maybe health care or dental care, or eye care or, you know, good retirement package. It is a great retirement package. But, you know, a lot, but what he does, he blesses us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so as you go through life, you want to just remind yourself that you are blessed and how blessed you have every spiritual blessing that God can, can put up. Now, I I, I have to be be very careful or these 20 points will be spent on one point. But but let me make this point, though. It's every spiritual blessing. God does not promise us on this side of eternity, eternity every physical blessing. The gospel is not about health, wealth, and prosperity. And if you've ever visited God's people in other countries you recognize that they are blessed, but they're not necessarily blessed with every physical blessing. They're, they're not sure always when the next meal is going to come. You know, after I tell stories, I don't know which stories I've told people, whether it's in a public environment or whether it's in a private environment. But but I, I distinctly remember, you know, sharing with uh, Barry, who was one of the, the missionaries for Word of Life, who was going out into the, the churches and developing youth ministries, and he was saying, I left one Sunday, and and when I was coming back, my wife said, I don't know what we're going to eat when you get back. But, the the end of that story was, when we got back, God had provided, and and we felt ashamed at doubting God. I don't know about you, but I, I like to know that there's a meal tomorrow. It's in the refrigerator. But God blesses us with every spiritual blessing and all you have to do is look at the fruit of the Spirit I mean love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control those those are available to all of us the characteristic of, of knowing the Spirit of God because of the work of the Son of God and given to us by the Father of God in fact Throughout this text in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we see God and we see every part of the Trinity in action. It's the, it's the Father God who chooses us. And we're going to look at this in a moment to bring us into relationship with him. It's, it's the Son who redeems us, that pays the purchase price. It's the Spirit that seals us into relationship. How, how rich are we? we? We have every blessing. We, we have the benefit package that God wants to uniquely give to people in his family. Looking at verse 4, it goes on. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What are we? We're not only blessed, we're chosen. That simply means to be picked. We, we've talked about in the past, you know. All of us have experience around the playground or maybe the school ground and they're developing teams and everybody gets up against the fence or wherever might be and get two captains and people are picking. And you're all just going, I don't want, I want to make sure I'm picked. And if I'm picked, I do not want to be picked what? Last. You know, it's implied in this passage that when God picked us, he all, he picked us all at exactly the same time. Before the foundation of the world. You know, it's interesting, uh, a little technical thing here. It's in the middle voice, which means when he picked us, he picked us for himself. He, he wanted us on that team. I, I think we've been in situations where, where people, <laughs> people picked us because it was charity. Oh, I, I, guess, I guess I have to pick that. Oh, come on, you're, I want you on my team. you think you don't want me on your team. God picked us. Because he wanted us. Uh, going on, verse, verse 5, it says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We're not only blessed, we're not only chosen, we're adopted. Uh, I did some additional look, look, at, this, look at this word uh, this past week. What was, what's, the, what's the context of the word adoption? It actually comes from two Greek words, which means son, sons and place. And really what it says is he was, adoption is all about placing sons. And we could also make the gender daughters. He, he places sons and daughters into a family. And, and that's really what adoption is. It, it's God seeing us with no family and wanted us not in just any family, but he placed us in his family. moving right on looking at 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 verse uh, seven it goes on in him we have redemption through his blood we've been blessed we've been chosen we've been adopted we've been redeemed now we don't use that word redeemed very much some of you come from a time where they used to have uh uh, you know these these little cards you could go in and get prizes with or Purchase certain things with green stamps and blue stamps and things like that. You would redeem something because you had purchased something. And there, there are different ways where even still today we do that. But, but the idea is that when you get something, there has to be some kind of payment. And when, when God brought us back into relationship with him, there was, a, there was a price that had to be paid. And that price that was paid, the ransom that was paid for our lives was the blood of Jesus Christ now how much how how much do we know somebody really cares about us? It's always demonstrated in in some way well the god announced the God announces to a very plain, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ what died for us I think all of us have a variety of relationships. You know, some are people we've just met for the very first time, some people they're acquaintances, some some people uh we would call them friends and then some of us would be BFF. Best friends forever, okay? Um you, you, what does that mean? There there are certain people in your life that you know that they would do anything. You don't even have to think twice can I can I call them up in the middle of the night because uh, I'm I'm desperate. You know, Jesus, Jesus demonstrated his love by paying the price that only he could pay. Now, the backdrop of this, and I can't look at the clock there. Okay, is that um, as you look at this in a cumulative effect, this is overwhelming. This is all stuff that God has done for us independent of any action on our part. He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us. He redeemed us. And then the part that that is at the center of the Christian life, He's forgiven us. In verse 7 again, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, all we have to do to appreciate this is think about the people in our lives that we struggle forgiving. That have done things to us or to people we care about. And how we hold on to that. And after a while it just becomes bitter. And we justify every emotional response when our mind brings that person into remembrance. And then we need to recognize that when God forgives us. What he does is he sends away. That's really what the word means. It means to send away. It means to cancel the debt. And no longer, it's almost an accounting term, no longer are the things that we have done that have broken the heart of God are left in our account. The the debt has been paid and it's been paid fully. And and every tense that we can think of applies to that. Our our sins of the past have been forgiven. The sins that we are possibly involved in right now that still breaks the heart of God and and the sins of the future all of it has been paid because of the sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross. My, my, my favorite word of the last word of Jesus is, is when Jesus says, it is finished. It's one, it is one Greek word. to that it has been paid in full. So as we think about how rich we are, as we enter into a new fall season, as we look at whatever God has for us in the days to come, and we are a blessed people. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen, we are adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. It goes on in verse 11, down a little further in the chapter, and it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. God has given an inheritance. And, and interestingly, I, I, I kind of did a little bit more study this, this past week on this word as well. It comes from a couple Greek words. One word means a lot, and the other is to Possess. And really what it talks about in inheritance is to possess a lot. Now, it's talking about what's going to happen in, in the future. You have, a, you have a present assurance of that. But, you know, some of us when we think about what, what's our inheritance going to be, you know, we might think, I don't, I don't know if I've got any rich uncles. I don't, know, I don't know who is going to leave me what. And others might be saying, I, I, there are some family members. I, I, can, I can expect that there's going to be some, some um, provision left for me. But whatever side of that coin you're on, whether you're anticipating a a big inheritance on a physical level or a very small one, God says, look, I have given you a lot to possess. Not only are we presently cared for, we are in the future cared for. Then a word that many people react against in verse 11 it says being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will what does that word predestined mean some people are very afraid of that word it it really is a very simple word it means to determine beforehand some say it's better translated to mark out beforehand and it kind of relates to that word chosen where, where god made up his mind way in the past that we would be part of his family Charles Spurgeon, who's, who's known very much as a Calvinist, a Reformed person, he put it this way. Uh, and this is a this is thing to kind of reflect upon. God chose us before I came into this world because if he waited until I came into this world, he would have changed his mind. <laughs> it, it's just simply saying, God, look, at I want you to understand that I marked you out before you could even think that you, number one, could deserve it. Or secondly, you could not ever receive it because of how bad you are. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon me. It was marked out beforehand that your future is settled. I like what Dr. McGee said. How did you get saved? I did my part and God did his part. What was your part? I did the sinning and God did the saving. I did the running and he ran me down. See, it's a statement that God is the one who does it. And we can rest in Him. D.L. Moody said this, Whosoever wills are the people who are the elect, and whosoever wants wants what this world has to offer are the non-elect. Uh, we, we can't understand how God makes us responsible, and then He, he draws us into His family. But we need to understand the emphasis here, and understand what it means to be chosen, elected, or predestined, is that God does it. And then we can rest in the assurance of that. Quickly, because we have just about run out of time. Um, he goes on in in verse thirteen again. He's just listing over and over and over again the riches we have, the benefit package we have in Christ. He says, "In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." If, if you're wondering what, uh, about all the flowers in the, in our sanctuary, this. This morning, it's because there was a wedding here. Amy and Michael, Amy Greenland and, and Michael, got uh, hooked up. They got, they got, they got, they got, uh, they got married yesterday. You know, and just, just every, actually every ceremony I've ever participated in or, or been to, there's there's always a seal given in the marriage ceremony, and that's when there's an exchange of a ring, where, where it's saying, okay, this is the seal that we are. We are putting our two lives together. And by vows before God, we want this relationship to last how long? Forever. Now, on this side of eternity, people mess that up. And it breaks the heart of God. God hates when that happens. But what we need to recognize is that the seal that we have on our lives is a seal made by the Spirit of God. And our relationship with him is secure. So again, as, as we think about what God wants us to do, we need to understand what, what God has already done for us. Who are we? We are blessed. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are given an inheritance. We are predestined, We are sealed. And, and looking at verse uh, 18 just really quickly, uh, the eye, he prays that the eyes of your heart, being enlightened, talking about something that has already happened, that you may know what is the hope of his call, calling. He wants us to understand that the light has been turned on in our lives. We are enlightened, which simply means that that the the there's there's a there's someone shining information into our experience. The opposite of being in the light is to being in the what? In the dark. And, and we need to understand that, that what, what happens fundamentally when we become a child of His is that God shines his light into our lives and and we don't have to go through lives confused about his plan he gives us understanding of his word he he takes that which is dark and he takes it out of our lives and then this in that same prayer he uh this is a prayer that paul is praying some of what god has already done and what he he wants them to experience in verse 19 he says and, and that you might understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe I, I was talking to brandon right before and he was he was talking about that he was wide awake he had five cups of coffee Well, when i saw him those that coffee had not it had not kicked in yet you know, right? sometimes when i see him I'm, I'm i'm the cheerleader for brandon when he's not quite awake you know and he said i he says, and he was he was doing a lot of things for the wedding, and he and it was uh, and he says, I'm on E. That's what he said to me. I'm so I, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm really I'm really dragging it. I'm on E. Now, wh- what do you think he meant by E? Anthony, I said, well, that's not what I think it means. It means you're empowered, you're energized, you ha- you have God's presence in your life, and this is a great day to be alive. He kind of reacted the same way when I did that. All right, but you know. Th- it's interesting when Paul says this. I mean, he, he's not just talking, I want, well, I want you to know you got some power. Uh, we've all heard, or many of you have heard that, the word for power there is the word from dunamis, from which you get dynamite, so you could say to be dynamite. But he wants them to understand just how dynamite they need. He says, you are, you, you, I want you to see the exceeding greatness. The word great is one of my favorite words in the Greek New Testament. It, it's the word mega. And for those who are Transformers fans, it's Megatron. I mean, it's, you need to understand just how big this Power is but but if you go through life thinking i, I don 't have anything going for me i, I don 't have any strength i don 't have any energy i don 't have anything that I can tap into, then you 're going to be tired all the time. Now we do get physically tired we, we wear out i had, 've had some experience with that, but but we need to understand there is a resource beyond what we can we can sense um, in a physical way there's a power that God wants us to tap into that's not only powerful it's exceedingly powerful it's not only exceedingly powerful it's 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 a mega power and, and there are going to be some challenges for all of this this year uh, some uniquely to individuals here and some maybe corporately for us but we, as we go through life, we need to recognize that we don't go alone, that we, we are blessed, we are chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're sealed, we're enlightened, we're empowered. Well, that's chapter 1. Now, we got five minutes to go through chapters 2 and 3. Well, again, uh, there is one point this morning. Uh, the, the, this for god's people we are rich we are we are blessed we are given everything that we need to to live out the life he has called us to live that that we might shine that people might recognize that that god is alive and well and he's living in the hearts of his people well paul goes on in chapter two and he he he, he does give the other side of it he describes us before bc before christ that we're, we're we're actually dead spiritually and not only dead that our, our lifestyle is a lifestyle of disobedience and if we don't understand completely how disobedient you are he says well, really if i were to describe you and really clear to you're depraved and so sometimes when you're surprised by what other people do and then maybe you're surprised about what you do or what happens sometimes your thought life or some of the things that you really want to go toward just recognize that that's that's, a, that's the human condition. That, w- that we came into this world dead spiritually. We, we, we came into this world disobedient to God's clear commands. We, we live a depraved life because we're controlled by our own desires. And the Bible says the, the ultimate destination for that is damnation. That we are doomed if we, are, we go through this life on our own. And, and there's only one answer for this. And then again, he talks about what God does. And really quickly, in verse in verse uh, in verse four, he says, uh, "I want you to understand: for God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us." As we go through life, we need to recognize that that the answer to our sense of loneliness is that there's one who loves us and loves us deeply. And I'll I'll resist the temptation to talk about that more. He he goes on then in, in verse um, in verse five and says. Even when we were dead in trespasses, trans, our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And so we need to recognize that we are loved, and because of that great love, God reached down and he made us alive. Now, why did he make us alive? Because we were dead. And maybe you've had experiences where people have had to actually administrate a CPR, where we're bringing people back to almost from total uh, the death experience. But when God brings us back to life it uh, brings us out of death it, it lasts beyond whatever extended physical life that person might be given who was brought back because of resuscitation in, in fact that's the idea here not only does he bring us back to life the old old language he, we are quickened. it says we are raised up with him in verse six he said verse six and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in christ jesus this this place that we live in is not our home and when we get overly discouraged about what happens in this life, and, and there are some things, and I think it's all right to talk about and discuss, but let's not be preoccupied with all the things that go wrong in this life. This is, this is not our final destination in terms of what happens in this world. And when we live only from this world, we don't recognize we've been raised up to a new place, a new location, the heavenly. Verse 8, that, that very familiar passage, that we are saved by God's grace through faith. We are saved, which simply means we are delivered from danger. And that danger is a real danger that will last for eternity. In verse 10, it says, a great passage. We spent eight weeks on our design series. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are a prepared people. And we need to recognize that too. Sometimes we we, we look at all the things we are incapable of doing, that we're not ready for. But really what it means to be prepared is that we are made ready. Ready for what? To do whatever God wants us to do. What does God want us to do? Paul is saying, just wait a little bit longer. I'll tell you in chapters 4 through 6. But I want you to understand now that you are ready, equipped to do whatever God wants you to do. He goes on in verse 16, and we are rushing through this. He says that we are reconciled. And what does that mean? It means to, be cha- it, to have a relationship changed. And, and, and the intensity of that word actually means to be changed Completely. Have you, you ever uh, had a conflict with somebody? Have you ever had something between you and other that just breaks down communication, breaks down the friendship, breaks down even the desire even to spend any time with that person? Well, he, he uses the image of the, the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. He said, look, I, I want you to understand. I've broken down all the walls, and the relationship has been changed not just partially, but completely. And if that can happen in that, can, can you imagine the whole Middle East issue being changed immediately? That, that's that's what God can do, and will eventually do. And there'll be a judging hand upon that. But when God wants to reconcile people, He can reconcile them completely. And then He talks about in verse verse twenty two that we are we are we are called to be a dwelling place of God. Now, there, there's so many th- images in, in the in these chapters in the Book of Ephesians that are just overwhelming. Just think about that—that—that that, that idea that God wants us to be the dwelling place of God. We all can picture what it was happening in the Old Testament, where there was the tabernacle, and then there was the temple, and there was even the city of Jerusalem was a place in which God's people uh, came to to celebrate God on on big holy days. And God says, "I, I want you to understand that the temple that I." live within is not a temple made by hand that you are you are the vessel by which i relate and commune and connect in a personal way and our challenge then is to live our lives in such a way that that god not only dwells there but he he feels at home in many ways as you look at these statements of blessing that they all have implications don't they well, if that be true then then live like it in chapter three we won't look at the passages but basically he also talks that you have been informed there there is this there is a sense of uh of power when when you know something somebody else doesn't know don't you feel that sometimes uh, yeah i'm i'm in the know you, i know you're not in the know but that's because you're not as important as i am and that's the reason i'm in the know is it? That, is that, he talks about in chapter 3. I want you to understand that I've made this known to you, this mystery that was found in Christ. All the Old Testament prophets, they didn't understand what you understand. They had this idea the Messiah was going to come, but they didn't quite get it. But I want you to know, you now know this. You understand that the Messiah is, is not just a representative from God. He's fully God. And he's done miraculous things in people's lives. I want you to understand that you have been purposed. And this is a passage I'd like to talk about because it talks about the church. The the purpose of the church is to live our lives together in such a way that people can see the wisdom of God displayed. More than anything else, we ought to be people who are not unwise, but wise. Living life like it was supposed to be lived. He said that's what the church is all about. To manifest himself, not only in individuals, but in a collection of people. And I will read this last verse in verse 13. He, he, just as he leads himself to a prayer, he says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And really, he prays for them and asks God for that which he knows God will do. So I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to feel like that you have nothing left to give. I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to... To be faint-hearted. Why? Because you have that which you need to be courageous in life. To be what God wants you to be and then do what God wants you to do because you don't have to live life with no sense of God's presence and the courage that only He can give. I I, I close with this story. You know, Johnny Rockefeller, as as I've read, what was the... uh, The first billionaire that ever counted his coins to come up to that financial status. In fact, in some ways, people said that John D. Rockefeller, uh, if if he had, if John D. Rockefeller was was living today with the same amount he had in that day, he would would be number one on the Forbes list of rich men in this world. But, But for much of his life, After he obtained great success, what he had did little for him. They say often what he would eat at night was simply crackers and milk and maybe a little cheese and that was it. It's because his stomach was so filled with anxiety and worry about handling whatever he had that he he couldn't use what he had. And it said of him that, in many ways, his life didn't take on a whole other perspective until he took what he had and and started giving it away. You see, that's what it is for us with the riches we have in Christ. If somehow we think that the whole idea is just to hoard it for our own experience, then we've missed it. The phrase, blessed to be a blessing, is is a cliche, but it's so true. And, and so as Paul, you know, pleads with these who are on this heavenly cruise ship, but thinking that food is not included in the price, I, 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 I want you to enjoy all that I've given you, and then, and then I want you to share it with others. We're going to be looking at Paul's powerful prayers. He concludes the section on just talking about the blessings of God next week. But as we move from riches... He's going to spend three chapters talking about the responsibilities of God's people to live out the life he's calling to live. Let's pray. Well, help us not to forget the combination of the Christian life. What we don't know or what we forget to remember, what we choose not to use in our lives, makes what we have effectively useless. Father, there might be someone here this morning that still is on the outside looking in. And, and and what they need to simply realize today is that is that Jesus is truly the Savior for this world. And he's the only one that can take a life that is so marred by its own sin and forgive it. Well help us to be people who who know what you've done and then live it out for your sake and for your glory. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.